Hey ladies, welcome to WTF, Women Talking Frankly, a running conversation with your hosts, Kyle and Candace. And you, about issues facing women, such as health, hormones, our looks, our libido, life, and anything in between. We promise to dig deep and get into it each episode. Welcome. We're so glad you joined us today. We're back in the studio today, and boy, do we have a lot to dig into. We're calling this episode, I Am So Anxious and or Depressed, Could It Be My Hormones? We've had a lot of listeners listening to our podcast over the last few months, and I just want to say that people have been asking us to hear about different topics. So please go to the website if you have any questions, and you can send us your thoughts, your comments, questions, and requests via the email. Just want to let you know it's womentalkingfrankly.com. You may remember back a few episodes we mentioned that we were going to have a new segment called Hot Topics. And these are things that have caught our eye and made us aware that there's a topic that needs our attention and needs it now. Well, my hot topic today comes from reading some recent statistics regarding mental health and women and got me wondering, are we addressing these issues holistically or are we just reaching out in a, what I consider a suboptimal way? So Kyle put some statistics together and... Um, they dovetail exactly with what I've been seeing. In one report, women were nearly twice as likely as men to be taking antidepressants, and you see that all the time. Absolutely. Um, Of course, women are the ones that that when they have symptoms, they ask for help, and Mm -hmm. men are famous for not doing that. Um, A good 16 17% of women are on them compared to 9% of men, and the statistics vary, but they're usually similar. The incidence of antidepressant use has increased by 65% it's horrible. in the past 15 years. And of those women on them, 25% have taken them for more than a decade. Which is shocking. It, it is shocking, especially when you remember all the conversations you've had with all the women we've seen and talked to that say, but I'm not depressed. And my doctor put me on an antidepressant. I'm not depressed with my life. And Why what, am I on this? And then what happens when they go on antidepressants? They get low libido. They feel lethargic. Right. They feel flat. They feel lobotomized. So so what's happening here? So um, one psychiatrist in one of the studies I was reading said, well, women are more likely to to get depressed. That might be biological, but we don't know why. What kind of statement is that? So it's a WTF it's statement. It's a WTF statement. So let's, we don't know why. Maybe it's our hormones. So women are bearing the brunt of the emotional stresses around us. They're working. They're also raising the kids. Um, this is a generalization, guys, so sorry to offend you, but in general, women are doing the brunt of the work. They're trying to juggle all these issues, getting all these things done, but they're also more likely to reach out and ask for help. That's a good thing. So, but why is the overall use of all people of mental health drugs? Well, number one, there's some thought that the FDA has pr- approved more indications for drugs use. So you see drugs mm, being used mm. like off-label. Prozac might be for PMDD plus, you right? Know, uh, like yeah. Wellbutrin's being used for depression plus anti, you know, getting off yeah, smoking. Anti-smoking, yeah. Right. Um, we're also seeing that mental health issues are less stigmatized than they used to be. So it used to be if somebody was depressed or anxious, or they would be so afraid to even admit that and so afraid to have that on their medical record for you know insurance purposes. So more people in general are seeking help and more comfortable with that, but women are obviously are more comfortable with that than men. We're also seeing, of course, that people are living more stressfully 
hope-filled lives. So we're seeing more anxiety and depression from that alone. And the other thing that's really interesting in the last 20 years particularly is social media. You always hear about that FOMO, fear of missing out. Or, oh, man. Right? And, you know, it, myself included, Candace, and I'm sure you too, even though my life is wonderfully full, sometimes you pull on, pull off the computer on Facebook and you see so-and-so had a party that oh, you weren't invited to. Are my they? latest is seeing everybody on the slopes, pictures of them skiing. <laughs> and I used to be a, a skier every single day for eight years, even taught skiing, and now I can't ski. And so I've been feeling anxious about... Oh, should I get a knee replacement? And then I think, well, maybe I should get a knee replacement. But then I'd have to get another knee replacement. And then I'd have to get my hip replaced. And then and it's, and it's hurt. And it hurts it to get your knee anxious. replaced. Just... Well, yeah. And so you, you realize that people, you know, you hear about this all the time now. Anything you pick up in any magazine is um, the isolation that we feel as opposed to feeling more connected. People are feeling more Absolutely. isolated from social media. So you, if you already have a tendency to feel alone or depressed or you are alone, you're going to be more feeling like mental health issues are going to become more of a problem. I, I even want to, I want to chime in there about anxiety of actually calling people on the phone. Yeah. There's something about texting and Facebooking and doing everything online that makes it sort of an anxiety-ridden thing to call someone. It's like you're intruding. I you know. don't pick up the phone anymore. It's so true. Back in the day when we were growing up, we um, we didn't even have answering machines. This is going right. back, you know, Neanderthal yeah. days. But then you got an answer machine. You were kind of glad you got the answer machine so you mm-hmm. didn't have to talk to that person. Now you get <laughs> now you get the texting, <laughs> and then the person answers you right away. You go, oh, shoot, they're I mean, right there. I mean, it has its uses, <laughs> but people break up over text. I know. They, they talk about grief over a text message. They, it, it, no, it's, it's being it's, inappropriately used in places where I think it just adds to the anxiety of not having had a real conversation. I know. And having your phone, we are also connected to those phones. And not that we we have a love-hate relationship. But getting back to the mental health issue, um, the other thing we're seeing more is that we're seeing more direct-to-consumer ads coupled with yes. a mindset that says... Okay, you've got something wrong. Here's a pill to make you feel better. Easy fix. Don't try to understand why you have a problem. Here's a here's a pill to fix it. So we at WTF, Women Talking Frankly, have a broader take on this. What if some of this, if not all, could be related to your hormones? Is this such a radical thought? How about saying when the woman comes in to see me, or Candace has the same issue when she has her consults, I am depressed, I am anxious, I went to my doctor, and he immediately put me on something. She goes, but I am not usually a depressed person. I've been a happy person all my life, and now I'm in perimenopause, or I'm postpartum, or whatever, that time of life, it's, it's, you know, a, a different change of life. And they're just assuming that I need a, a medication. I might just need my hormones tested. Yeah, and it's it's always a, a welcome um, sign of awareness to me when women start to say, you know, I don't I don't think this is the issue. Exactly. And I'm not okay with being prescribed an antidepressant. It's making me feel flat. It's mm-hmm. making me fat, fat and flat. <laughs> the two things that go together, you know, no no emotion. Women don't like feeling that way. No one likes feeling that way. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think women are becoming. You know, as as you were saying, more women have depression or at least seek help for depression. And perhaps it is down to, you know, we we do know how powerful and potent hormones are in terms of regulating emotions. I yep. mean, hormones rule. They govern our physical, mental, and emotional state. They travel through the bloodstream. They bind under receptor sites, open the door to those to those uh, cells, the target tissues that control these these feelings that we have. So we rely on them. And when 
uh, those hormones are down or out of balance, which is why it's so important to, to know the symptoms of imbalance, which we've been talking about in these episodes, and to get tested to, to really confirm those signs yep. of imbalance. You could well have, let's start with estrogen. Yep. Estrogen, the mother of all female hormones, is very synced in with uh, regulation of our moods and emotions. We know that... Um, you know that estrogen is is really uh, very basic to the uh, production of serotonin, which yep. is that neurotransmitter, that chemical in the brain that 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 is the happy center mm-hmm. of the brain. We think of serotonin as the feel good hormone, <clears throat> and and when serotonin levels are down, it's usually because estrogen estrogen levels are low, and and then our moods can be. Um, correspondingly low as well. Also, the effects of endorphins, the feel-good chemicals in the brain, are reliant on estrogens. So if estrogens are low or out of balance, and then progesterone as well, which is the hormone that balances estrogen, is is very famous for being a calming hormone, a hormone that promotes feelings of calm. In fact, when progesterone drops, as it does right before we get our period, um, we often have the the customary PMS uh, mm-hmm. symptoms because it's that drop in progesterone. Evidently, progesterone is the hormone that activates GABA, right? The another neurotransmitter like serotonin that has a great deal to do with calming surges of cortisol, stress hormones. So um, when progesterone is low uh, or out of balance, then we don't get that effect of GABA that has that calming ability, especially when we're under stress. So those two master female hormones right there, estrogen and progesterone, if they're out of balance, which they often are, we see that in perimenopause. We see that in women that aren't ovulating when they're younger. We see it in menopause. Um, And so, you know, different reasons for anxiety at different ages and different levels. Yeah. I just want to jump in. Um, Serotonin, getting back to that, when you think about all the medications that are used for antidepressants, they're called SSRIs, which means serotonin, selective serotonin receptor inhibitors. Basically what they're doing is reuptake inhibitors. They're basically recycling the serotonin that's in the bloodstream. And so they're trying to create more serotonin at the neural synapses. But if you're low in serotonin to begin with, those medications don't work very well. And when we know that if you're low in estrogen, let's say you're an anorectic person or you're perimenopausal or postmenopausal, you're low, you can have low serotonin levels. Those drugs are not going to work that well because that's not the issue. The issue is you don't have the serotonin. How can we increase that? It would be to give you some estrogen. And then getting back to progesterone, we see, like it can was saying, we definitely see when progesterone levels drop, anxiety is a huge component. People talk about the anxiety of premenstrual time. Also, when they're perimenopausal, post-childbirth, um, and menopause. So we know... Post-childbirth is like the most sudden drop in progesterone that absolutely. we'll ever experience. Yeah, because you're, when you're pregnant, the two hormones of, of greatest quantity are both estriol and progesterone. And I was just talking to somebody the other day about, I was saying, how did you feel when you were pregnant? She goes, oh my God, it's my niece. She said, I felt amazing. I said, it is the most amazing feeling in the whole mm-hmm. world. You feel like you're on top of the world, other than you know the usual aches and pains and maybe feeling nauseated. But mostly, most people feel amazing. And then you have this huge drop in progesterone when your baby's born. And you, a lot of women end up with postpartum depression and mm-hmm. postpartum psychosis. Um, 
I just wanted to jump into one thing I was thinking when you were talking is we kind of, when we talk about mental health in women, there's a word that has been used for centuries, hysterical. What happens to women who get hysterical? And that word comes from the word hyster uterus. So women have been sort of stigmatized. And for centuries, as being a little crazy as a, as related to their mm-hmm. uterus. It has nothing to do with their uterus, but it has to do with their female hormones. And I was just reading about that with um, Tolstoy's wife. Evidently, he had her committed, E.E. Oh. E. Cummings, um, <laughs> and Victoria, Queen Victoria um, was considered to be hysterical. Of yeah. course, they couldn't. But, but again... Um, yeah, that that idea of women just being out of their box when probably their <laughs> hormones were down. And I think it's important to talk about, just to put it together, we're talking about estrogen and progesterone, and you're probably out there thinking, well, okay, but why do they become low? Yeah. What, what, what makes them, and we'll, we'll talk about that, we'll, we'll get into that, but, you know, it this whole thing that we're wanting to bring awareness to is being aware of the signs and symptoms of hormone imbalance and certainly anxiety and depression that you feel comes out of nowhere and lack of sleep, inability to sleep, which can make you even more anxious, uh, feelings of overwhelm. All of those things should be warning signs to you that there may be something going on with your periods and yeah. with your with your hormones. Yeah, absolutely. And well, your periods too. We're gonna we're going to do an episode in the future, basically just looking at the menstrual cycle and looking at the hormone, mm. you know, fluctuations and what happens. But again, like Candace said, um, today is really talking about. When we think of hormones and the effects on our brain and our mood, that's the, we want to just kind of go through that today. It's kind of a primer on that. What about testosterone? You know, women have testosterone, and we know that testosterone can influence our mood. And so we know that in, um, in rat, they did um, uh, studies on rats, depression uh, was related to low testosterone. It also boosts the production of serotonin. And testosterone helps with concentration, it makes you feel more confident. It gives you libido. That will give you a good mood. And um, so particularly when high, and high uh, testosterone um, can also cause problems as well. It can be linked to irritability. You know, people who are talking about feeling edgy, anxious, you know, kind of aggressive. So, the, you know, we know that people who have high testosterone levels are also out of control. So there's, there's that, whole, that whole, you know, what's the right amount to have of each hormone. Yeah, that's interesting because we think of testosterone as the hormone that drives the male of the species. But of course, women also need testosterone just in differing amounts, far less, far, it, far less amounts of testosterone are quite potent in women, but they do the same thing for us. They yep. build bone, they build lean muscle, they drive our, our feelings of competition and ambition and mm-hmm. our sexual drive, as you were saying. And, and it's interesting, as you were saying, confidence, there's a big tie-in with the, um, you know, just our outlook on life. Mm, absolutely. Our ability to process information and concentrate. Mental sharpness is mm-hmm. linked to testosterone and androgen, other androgens like DHEA, which is the most abundant hormone in the body and is often called the fountain of youth hormone because when we've got, when we're young, we've got lots of DHEA mm-hmm. and we're on top of our game and and so, but imbalances of either one of those, the lows, as you mentioned, linked to low mood, low libido, low energy, because of course, testosterone has a lot to do with metabolism right? and the control of our energy. But then on the high side, yeah, we can feel edgy and aggressive. And that's interesting too, because you see high levels in women who may have PCOS, and we'll talk about that in another- Which stands which for a, polycystic ovarian polycystic syndrome. Polycystic ovarian syndrome. 
Thank you, which is um, such an important topic, and, and we want to talk about that. And it's often linked to insulin resistance, issues of you know, eating, having too much sugar and elevated insulin in the diet as a result, which causes the ovaries to churn out too much testosterone, or in older women in menopause who are no longer making the right complement of estrogen and progesterone because our ovaries are packed up, we tend to sometimes make a higher ratio of testosterone relative mm-hmm. to those hormones. That's where you start getting the chin hairs yeah. and the edgy bite, pe- bite that, people's head off. Get those tweezers out. Yeah. Candace gave me a light-up tweezer. I always love her for that. I, <laughs> I love that When thing. you're feeling edgy, go use your light-up tweezers. <laughs> go after those little whiskers when <laughs> yeah. you're feeling edgy. Go after those instead of the people you exactly. love most in all the world. Well, yeah, and so I think we have to say, you know, again – when you're feeling, you know, if you have too high testosterone, it's going to make you cranky. If you have too low testosterone, yeah. it's going to make you have a low mood, a lack of enthusiasm, a lack of zest for living. Yeah. And, you know, just these symptoms alone can make you feel depressed. So, you know, you kind of feel like you're not the same person you used to be. And you're, again, maybe you're not even depressed, but you start feeling like you could be depressed. And when you go talk to your provider about this and you list all the symptoms, they're going to make, many times they don't do a very good symptom review. And suddenly you're given, given a pill, well, try this, this might help you. Well, it might help you, but it may also hurt you. And it's a Band-Aid. Uh, again, so we going through the hormones, we can kind of see this. You know, what you said just now made me think about depressed versus depressing. Right. It's depressing right. to have to consider that you just yelled at someone for no good reason or that you were just completely rude to that person um, for no good reason or that somebody looked at you wrong and puts you in a bad mood. And, and you start to, and again, it's this thing of who am I being right now? This is, who is that what, person? what do I have to do to stop this? And that contemplation itself is depressing. That doesn't mean I'm depressed. Right, exactly. I don't tend to be a depressed person, but we've talked about this in other episodes. I had horrible PMS when I was younger. I'd be fine. And all of a sudden, one day I'd wake up and be insecure. I'd be sad. I'd be afraid to do anything. I felt awkward and just everything was wrong. My whole house looked bad. I I didn't like anything, (laughs) anybody. And it was like (laughs) nothing nothing had changed but me. And then you wake up the next day and two days later and suddenly everything was fine. And you, you just it was just powerful to see how a hormone could change not the world, but my perception of the world. And that, that's, that's the deal, I think, is that's a real take-home message here is that when our hormones are messed up, we don't know what the problem is, but we know there's a problem. Yeah, and I mean, there are even the relationship between um, migraine headaches and imbalances of hormones. What kind of anxiety? I've never had a migraine in my life. No. But the anxiety that people who have those sorts of headaches live with, wondering, I've got to give a presentation today. Am I going I to have to deal with, Is it, am I going to get hit by a migraine? And that can be you know, hormonal. That's and that can up. be hormonal. Yeah. I mean, that's where, again, Teresa, Katerina Dalton discovered and defined the syndrome of PMS because she used to have horrible migraines and Mm. noticed that when she was pregnant, she didn't have them. And what did she find out? When you're pregnant, you've got a ton of, you're swimming in a sea, you and your fetus have estrogens and progesterones, optimal amounts of hormones. Crazy. So that's, (laughs) that gets uh, pretty, pretty interesting. So, you know, and then like Candice mentioned, DHEA. DHEA is a hormone, it's a reproductive hormone in a sense, but it's actually produced by your adrenal glands. It also increases serotonin. And in it, in indirectly or directly, it actually also increases estrogen and testosterone. And we know when you're measuring DHEA, it's very high when we're young, 
and it gets low when we get old, and it gets prematurely low when we age too quickly. And at menopause, we see it dropping. So we see that um, it has connections between the amygdala of the brain, the hippocampus, which are all thought thought areas, and, and they allow our brains to have con- connection between the various regions of the brain. Which then alert the hypothalamus, which then alerts the pituitary, which then alerts the adrenals and says, hey, she's stressed. She's stressed. And now she's feeling anxious and overwhelmed for, for whatever reasons that... DHEA being an adrenal hormone, too. Yeah. If the adrenals are stressed, um, then we're not producing as much DHEA. And as you mentioned, it indirectly is, it's actually, DHEA is actually the raw source material, the precursor of estrogen and testosterone. Mm -hmm. So those levels are going to be low if our adrenals are stressed and we're not making enough DHEA. That's when we start to age, as you said, prematurely or rapidly. I know. I can't believe I'm actually testing people in their 30s now and I'm seeing some low DHEA. It's shocking because they're under enormous amounts of stress. And so speaking of that. Yeah, they did a study actually um, of women aged 21 to 77 and they found that those with higher levels of naturally occurring DHEA S, had better executive function, concentration, and working memory. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I tell, people always ask me, what does DHEA do? I say, oh, it's almost like, what does DHEA not do? It does so much for your body. The most abundant hormone, yeah. It's yeah. got hundreds, dozens of functions. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have to be careful. And obviously, you know, we're not going to say, say that you should take DHEA. That's not what we're here to say. We're just telling you some of the, some people can take it, some people can't, depends on what kind of medications they're on. And what your test results show. Exactly. But we're course. just trying to go through here and just give you an idea of what these hormones do. Mm-hmm. So what about cortisol? You mentioned cortisol. Well, <laughs> you know, cortisol is the it's that, they call it the master stress hormone. It's made by the adrenals that um, make adrenaline, of course, the fight or flight hormone if we're running from the Taliban or a forest <laughs> fire um, or, you know, just tackling. It, cortisol is really the, the everyday hormone that helps us tackle the big issues, the get up and go hormone that our our bodies, we have to have it. We can't live without cortisol. The adrenaline that the adrenals make is for for extreme situations, but cortisol gets us up in the morning. We've got a, a job to do. We've got to get commuting. Maybe we've got a big presentation. Maybe, you know, the body doesn't know the difference between death, divorce, great success in business, going to 20 weddings in a row. It's all the same response. The adrenals have to make cortisol to process the nutrients that we eat into energy, mm-hmm. fuel for the brain, fuel for the body. It allows and us to get glucose in the cells, basically. To get that glucose into the cells that feeds, it is the exclusive fuel for the brain and fuels our muscles and our energy mm-hmm. levels. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like we, we, we flog the adrenals. We are, as you mentioned earlier, Kyle, we're living in a world of abundant stress. We have social media. We have, you know, instead of slowing down and things getting easier, they're getting, everybody I know says life is speeding up. You know, you're trying to slow down and look for time um, saving devices. And actually, (laughs) they seem to take more time to learn how to use them. To learn how to use them. Maybe that keeps our brains young. I don't know, but I often find it stressful and defeating and 
and overwhelming. And I think a lot of people do. I, I wonder about, you know, really elderly people, how do they get a grip on on this? But at any rate, it's, you know, we're at different stages of our life. Sometimes we're, we're putting on weights, or we're going to the gym, and we're over exercising, or we've got, we're burning the candle at both ends, we're overbooked, we're overcommitted. I've talked to gals that have been to 10 weddings in a row in, mm. in the last couple of months. And everybody seems to be stressed. And what they'll say is, God, I thought my test results would show really high cortisol levels because I'm so stressed. And yet, what do we see, Kyle? Low. <laughs> we see low. And anything you read, you'll see these low-level cortisol uh, curves. The cortisol curve should be that you are getting up in the morning, bounding out of bed with all the energy like in a, the world to take like, on your day. Like I tell people, when you plug your phone in at night, you wake up with a fully charged battery. That's what your cortisol should look like. It's fully exactly. charged. And as you as the day goes on, that battery goes down. But that's okay, because you're going to recharge it at night. And by night, you want it to be low right. and ready for calm and sleep. That's but right. that's not what's happening with mm -mm. most people. We are going, 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 because we, we have to. We're on, you know, we work all day, we rush our food, we're hurrying through life, we're getting home and then getting on our computers, which further disrupts hormone production, especially of melatonin, the sleep hormone. And, um, you know, so we get the, we get to the point where this is cumulative, it yeah. takes its toll and the adrenals actually start to be unable to put out that surge of cortisol that you need to go work out for two hours at the gym or that you need to deal with this tense situation that's coming up. They just start to flag and they're not meeting demand. And with and the and the link to the mental health thing is that when cortisol levels remain abnormally high, they actually can cause the level of serotonin in the brain to decrease. Right. So then you have anxiety, insomnia, poor mood and depression. And on the other hand, Low cortisol levels can also cause anxiety, irritability, inability to handle stress, fatigue, and a feeling of being overwhelmed. And, and again, I think that that is the, the definition the with low cortisol. adrenals that really hangs in with anxiety, yeah. the feeling of being overwhelmed. Absolutely. And then, so then you have that thing again, like Candace was saying, depressed versus depressing. You, when you're feeling overwhelmed, you also feel like you're not capable. You're not, you know, you're just, you, you're not a person that should be doing, you know, feel like an imposter syndrome. Yeah. You know, the whole thing. And then you start going down the rabbit hole of, of, of having self-doubt. So that, again, can release all kinds of hormones as well. And then we have the high cortisol at night, which we see sometimes that's going to inhibit sleep. And that's going to affect our melatonin, which Kenneth just mentioned, which also leads to mood changes. Also, the high night cortisol can um, increase, uh, uh, disrupt our appetite hormones, and we get food cravings, and we start eating at night, and that what does that lead to? Depression because we've gotten fat, and now <laughs> so, we're and, and often overeating, right? Because that the appetite hormones, ghrelin and leptin, actually operate on the sleep wake cycle that cortisol is supposed to regulate. So it's a big mess, and so you get into this thing of <laughs> I'm hungry all the time, except that I just ate, and but what I'm craving isn't giving me the nutrition I need, and now I'm gaining. That's where you get adrenal fatigue and and what is one of the big symptoms of that is the belly fat that yeah. won't that will not budge and then the belly fat produces more estrogen and then the, we think that would be a good thing but it's not always a good thing because it can cause insulin resistance so and more anxiety because how many women don't <laughs> want to have belly absolutely fat. hate that belly their fat. belly fat and are on at the gym working out for two hours a day to get it get rid of it and that doesn't work because no. what is over exercise do but stress the adrenals further so it's you know you can see so really Really, what we're trying to get at here, audience, is that <laughs> is that we are seeing a link in so many ways to our from our hormone to our hormones, 
and our and our brain function and also our body and it's it's all you can't you can't you can't separate it. You can't overestimate that. And you know, I think we were talking about women using more antidepressants than men. Maybe it's because they seek help more often, but I think it's because that women are notorious for taking care of everyone but themselves. Exactly. And doing, you know, how how much we know about self-care and that we need to you know, you were saying the other day, Kyle, you were going to take advantage of your insurance that allows you a certain number of massages. Oh, every, yeah. You've got to do, you know, take <laughs> take advantage of those things that provide time to relax. And I think that's a big issue. People don't know how to relax anymore. Self-care. there's always something to be doing. I think we have to, I mean, you know, it's that whole thing about at the end of your life, are you going to wish that you worked more? No. You're going to wish that you took time for yeah. your family, yourself. I think right. we have to emphasize over and over again, self-care. But but let's um, jump into melatonin because melatonin is another one of those little critters that uh, improves our mood. And so if we have melatonin being uh, inappropriately uh, secreted, we know that, uh, we, well, actually, it's a hormone produced by our body that actually helps improve symptoms of anxiety. Mm-hmm. It can improve our sleep quality. It can help regulate our circadian rhythm. And it <clears throat> eases negative feelings. So if you're low in melatonin and you're not sleeping well, What's going to happen? You're going to have anxiety, and you're also going to again have that whole cortisol thing, right? Because you're not sleeping well, and you're trying to running on empty, and it's a it's a, just a vicious cycle. And just to circle back to what we were saying about estrogen, um, I think I mentioned it, but it it always helps to emphasize things that um, estrogen, when it estrogen is so essential to um, serotonin production. Mm-hmm. So as it happens, serotonin is the precursor or raw material from which melatonin is made. Right. So low estrogen equals low serotonin, the equals low melatonin equals anxiety right. and lack of sleep mm-hmm. and all the issues that are associated with that. Yeah, um, yeah. Melatonin can be tested in uh, urine and um, there is there are even profiles that look at urine and cort- uh, melatonin and cortisol curves because mm-hmm. when we're sleeping we should be low in cortisol. Cortisol should be low during the course of our sleeping experience, which is in those five stages down to REM, which we hope we get into rapid eye movement. And then cortisol should be low, and then cortisol should start rising in the morning. But sometimes in people who have burned the candle at both ends, maybe ate something sweet before they went to bed or were watching you know, on their screen too much, sometimes their cortisol levels start rising too early or too soon, too early in the morning, and they're up you know, that's that frequent waking or calling somebody at 3 a.m. because you're awake and you don't know why. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So those are the main, I think, hormones that we see, although I think we should also mention thyroid. Yeah, I think so. Thyroid is definitely, you know, when you think about people who are, are dep- come and present as depressed particularly, Oftentimes, we know we do a thyroid panel on them, and they may have just sort of a, a functional low thyroid function, meaning that they don't quite hit the the um, the indicators that our our medical society has decided means low thyroid. But they're mm. functioning low. They may have the low mood, the low libido, the fatigue in the afternoon. So the irritability, the weight changes, sleep problems. Those can also mimic depression. So we have to think of thyroid. You know, when we think of depression, also anxiety, if you have hyperthyroidism, it can make yeah. you anxious. I don't see a lot of hyperthyroidism, but it's Mostly out there. Mostly hypo. Mostly hypo. I think what you said just now, mimic depression is an important thing to think about right now. And one of our goals is always to help 
you, our listeners, discern what are the questions you need to ask and, and the mm-hmm. questions, you know, and what are your awarenesses. So we're, we're raising awareness about all of these different things. And, <clears throat> you know, one of the questions to ask is, could my thyroid be, be underperforming because I'm because I'm uh, have so much stress and because my adrenals may be low because adrenal glands and thyroid work hand in hand. Right. Exactly. And, and most, so if and, your yeah. adrenals are underperforming, if you if you look back at your life, l- l- look at take stock of the last 2 years even. What's been going on? Have you been traveling a lot? Have you changed jobs? Have you gotten married? Have you gotten divorced? You know, what's going on in your mm-hmm. life? If you're at a low ebb and you're feeling those those feelings of either anxiety or lack of enthusiasm, these things or depression, um, depletion. Think 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 about whether or not this could be, you know, hormonal imbalances. Could this be that I'm adrenally exhausted and it's affecting my thyroid? Yeah, and then the I'm, symptoms of thyroid are depressing too. You yeah, know, your hair dries out, your nails are breaking, you don't have any libido, you gain weight. That's that's a bummer. Yeah, and most providers <clears throat> are not looking at the adrenals, and and the thyroid panels that are being done are often incomplete. So. So what we're saying, I think, of, you know, just a summary before we go on to some of the stages we see, is that clearly many hormonal changes and imbalances can lead to symptoms of depression or anxiety. So what we are at WTF, which is always a WTF moment here, we're suggesting that you get tested for hormone imbalances, work with a skilled and trusted provider, correct those imbalances, and then see what symptoms are left. You may mm-hmm. truly have depression. You may truly have an anxiety disorder, which is beyond the scope of just a hormone imbalance. But right. let's, let's, treat the, let's treat the imbalances first so that we don't over-treat the other issues. I, I find that that's a much more nuanced approach, and we'll have people on less medications for insomnia, anxiety, depression, because it becomes a slippery slope. People walk in the door, and they, they show me their list of medications. It's shocking. Sometimes they're on two medications for depression, one you know, medication for anxiety, two medications for Thyroid sleep. Thyroid medications often. Yeah, and, and we'll see. You know, One of the things we're seeing now is like Ambien has been shown. You know, People use it for sleep all the time. They say, oh, my provider told me it's not habit-forming. Well, it is. It, it's not like addicting, but it's definitely habit forming. And they've actually lowered the dose for women in the last, I think, about eight to 10 years ago. And they're showing that, you know, using some of these medications can lead to dementia. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we're just saying, oh, you shouldn't be on these medications because we don't think you should be. There's actually long term problems that can be, you know, come from these medications. So, and I think it's important to emphasize what you were saying. Look at the hormone imbalances because these are often underlying. And mm-hmm. a famous example or well-known example is the link I just made between adrenals and thyroid or estrogen dominance, one of the um, imbalances we've talked about often impacting thyroid function. These things start first. You know, people who think, oh, I'm gaining weight, it must be my thyroid, and end up getting put on thyroid medication for years may never know that they had an underlying imbalance that's still there. And isn't it interesting that seven out of 10 people who have thyroid issues are women and that they crop up right around perimenopause years yeah, in, true. in the mid-40s? That's when they start to take hold. How, how is that? A Dr. John Lee that we've often referred to, the author of um, you know the guru, a Bible of uh, what your doctor may not tell you about menopause, important book to read, talked about being able to get a lot of his women patients off of thyroid medication once he got their hormones balanced. So true. And I also see that postpartum. I, it's funny. It's something I never learned in school, but I began to see women who had especially two to three children, but sometimes after one, which again is that shift, that, that sudden drop of progesterone, having a thyroid-like symptoms or 
hypothyroid, you know, mm. indicators that showed me that they needed to be on medication. Right. But again, like you said, so Candace, sometimes taken. at a certain point in your life, you can rebalance people and get them off thyroid medication. Usually by about 60 or so, you know, we're getting older, so things are changing. But, you know, so get, you know, getting into like, let's think about how women are Those affected. different age ranges. Yeah. yeah. Like when, so we'll just go back to puberty. Um, we know that at puberty, your body begins to produce sex hormones. These hormones are, are both estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. They actually begin to cause physical changes. But in some people, we see emotional changes. What happens when kids are in puberty? You know, if anybody has ever had a kid, we've all been kids. You know, nobody wants to be a teenager again. It's pretty emotional upheaval time of life. But what's hap- why is that? Because of our hormones. By the way, listeners, if you have a teenager at home that's going through hormonal issues, read the book by Nisha Jackson called The Teenage Hormone mm-hmm. Takeover. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and, and she, actually she's a nurse practitioner that lives in Medford, Oregon. She's pretty she's pretty great. Yeah, I think we, but we do see that and you know that we have this nice little child, they're like 11 years old, they're so sweet and all of a sudden they go through puberty and it's like, oh my God. Yeah. And you know, if you have a daughter and I had a daughter and I have, and she kind of says two and I was a a daughter, and so was Candace. Yes. I mean, you are emotionally all over the map when you're going through that time period. It and it's it, what is it? It's hormones. Yeah, you know. And depending on your diet, and a lot of girls at that age are eating a lot of junk food, or maybe their parents are trying to feed them healthily, and then the minute they get out of the house, they're eating all the wrong <laughs> junk things. Food. Exactly. College. But that certainly exacerbates the issue. Oh yeah. Lack true. of sleep and. Um, you know, periods not being established, wobbly cycles, because when you're young, it takes a while. Yeah, sure it does. And then we get into our early 20s, and what do we see then? We probably see more PMS, uh, stress, insomnia, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, so- I think what I see in women that I talk to in their 20s is that they do all of those things, and then acne, and these are all reasons, or heavy periods, painful periods that keep them home from school, mm-hmm. um, that... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, put them uh, in, in right on track for birth control. And that's another issue we'll discuss. But birth right. control is certainly um, point being that it disrupts ovulation. And once you disrupt ovulation, then, you know, you're going to have a disruption of hormone mm-hmm. uh, production, so, yeah. optimal hormone production. And of course, there's a place for good birth control. And that's a huge topic. But if we know that 52 or so percent of young women who are on birth control aren't using it for contraceptive purposes. These young 20-year-olds we're talking about, they're not on it. They're not sexually active yet. They're using it because they have acne or heavy periods. And sometimes they stay on it for years and years. And we, so and, setting you know, up a cycle of imbalance. And, and many women um, lose touch with their own cycles when they're on it for so long and they actually feel... They don't want to have a That's cycle. That's a big point. So, yeah. but you know, again, like Candice was saying, when you're on a, and we'll have another episode about birth control pills and, and just hormones and how they affect your hormonal contraception. But we know just briefly that being on birth control pills lowers our androgens a lot and it makes us have low libido, low mood. Many women can't tolerate being on synthetic hormones. Right. It makes their moods so bad. So there's that, again, get that whole thing of, you know, young woman's on birth control pills, suddenly she finds herself depressed. And on an antidepressant, whoa, okay, sl- slow down. We have to dial that one back. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing that. We're also seeing in people who are in their 20s, maybe being on some crazy diets, over-exercising, seeing that. So common. So common, right? And that's going to affect <clears throat> our mood. 
Then we get into like, you know. By impacting the adrenals and wearing course. them out. Yeah, and maybe having low nutrients and all <laughs> These those These young people yeah. with symptoms of like women in menopause. I know, exactly. And then, you know, you get into the postpartum depression. So we're seeing mm-hmm. again, so we're just trying to go through like some of the things where, you know, cycles that people go through as they go from puberty into menopause. Um, you'll have fluctuating hormones in the perimenopause. Probably one of the most difficult times of a woman's life. The roller coaster years. Yeah, up and down, up and down. I mean, this down. is inevitable. Yep. Um, we are going to get into menopause, as you've said before, Kyle. Yep. You are going to have menopause for the rest of your life by the time you yeah. get there, 50, 12 sequential months without a period. But the manner in which you experience menopause and the years leading up to it, perimenopause can take eight to 10 years and women groan and, you know, poor and, and are terrified, but it doesn't need to be no, such a roller coaster situation if we're, and we're going to talk about some of the things we can do, but yep. it's all about achieving some sort of balance in our diet, in our lifestyle, in our stress management. I love um, the women who come to see me that don't have any symptoms. They just come in because they say, you know, I just want to know. I want to get through this gracefully. And, yeah. it's, and, you know, unfortunately, our society in general doesn't promote that, although we're seeing that more and more now with, you know, health promotion and awareness mm-hmm. and all that. But again, being so busy, sometimes people don't even come in for their annual exams. I'm guilty of that. But, you know, some we don't always take time for ourselves to think about being proactive and, and, and preventing Problems. Well, you know how you, you just sort of get on with life until something takes you down. <laughs> and, you know, so you drink. True. I've talked to so many women. I'll say, yeah, I was drinking five, six cups of coffee a day um, until I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. What exactly. You know, what is coffee doing? It's like a whip to your adrenals. And and I think in going through these aid, these stages of our reproductive lives, um, we went through the 20s and our 30s and perimenopause, and then there's menopause. And right. that's when we've got... No, you know, our ovaries have packed their bags. We are not ovulating anymore. We are no longer making, we're not making much progesterone at all. And mm-hmm. we're we're making some estrogen, but much less fat. If we have some good body fat going, we'll be making some estrogen. Right. But, but, the, but the balance is off, especially because we're not making enough progesterone. And guess what takes over hormone production in midlife at menopause? The adrenals. Right. And they're not very and, good. They're not very good ovaries. And yeah, and the adrenals are trying to regulate still our blood sugar and insulin to give us energy. They're trying to regulate our sleep-wake cycle, our immune defenses against illness. And now they're trying to produce some hormone. So this is where when I talk to women in menopause who are kind of... You know, they're, they're worried and scared and anxious because they've heard so much about hormones and are these hormones safe? These bioidenticals you talk about, are they safer than the synthetics? Can I use them safely? Should I just live like this because I'm I in know. menopause after all? And, you know, I think our argument is, hey, you know, we, like Jane Fonda was saying, we have another third of our lives to go exactly. in that wonderful TED Talk, The Third Act. It's fantastic. We're living to be 90. 100 years ago, we lived to be 50. We've got to have some replenishment. Right. So, okay. So we're WTFs. We raised a lot of questions today, but let's, let's give people yeah. some answers now. So first of all, you know, we always get back to basics. Number one is go to a provider that you can work with. And we'll and then we'll put some questions on our, our website about p- questions that you should ask your provider. Um, we, we recommend full hormone testing, and we we recommend saliva testing or uh, blood spot testing. And sometimes. we should mention Kyle does that in her practice at the Pearl Women's Center. I do that through your Hormone Balance. Right, it's available. 
you know, its home collection, which and we'll, is really and we'll optimal be offering and convenient. Our, and we'll be offering that through our website at some point, too. We also recommend a full thyroid panel and um, uh, checking you of some of your vitamin levels, like your B12, your D, your ferritin. Those are basic things that I think are just everybody should get checked. Once you get those results back, your provider will help you, you know, correct those imbalances with what we call physiologic doses of bioidentical hormones, meaning that when somebody prescribes a hormone for you, it should be the right amount of hormone for you. The Goldilocks dose. Exactly. Not too just much, right. not too little, just, just right. right. And then if, if you need thyroid um, medication, and then we also look at things like some of the things I thought about were, you know, if people have anxiety, like an amino acid, L-theanine is fantastic. If you have low serotonin levels, let's say you can't be on hormones for some reason, you had a breast cancer, you can't, maybe 5-HTP, you know, looking at vitamin D. Uh, 5-HTP, by the way, breaks down to serotonin and then serotonin to melatonin. Exactly. So it's all of a piece. It's all a piece. They're all related. And then some of the adaptogens like ashwagandha, rhodiola, these are all wonderful, wonderful um, supplements that are available. And if you're working with a provider or sometimes if you do some self-study and you think these would be good for you, they're pretty wonderful. Let me chime in and and, um, define adaptogens because a lot of people don't actually know what they are. I find... um, so adaptogen um, studied on Soviet athletes and astronauts and mm-hmm. in you know studies of hardworking, high-performing people have shown these are these herbs, as Kyle mentioned, ginseng is another one that would is really commonly known to help the adrenals adapt to stressors. Mm-hmm. So adaptogenic herbs. And I feel like because there are so many, as you said, ashwagandha, rhodiola, maca, eleuthero, right. mushrooms, it's great to get a tincture. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like, what do you think, Kyle? I like tinctures because they're easily absorbed. I like And you both. can make a blend. Yeah, I like both. I mean, but I, I like to use the example of ashwagandha is one of those ones. It can be both stimulating. If your body's low in energy, it can stimulate you. And if you're anxious, it can be calming. It's one of those yeah. very unique ones. And right. if you, I have a great book called Adaptogens. I love it. And you read about them, and they're ancient, ancient. They're ancient, herbs, ancient. And they're just wonderful. So And they work. They I use work tonics. Great. I use them when I have a, a really heavy day or, you know, those things, the uh, anxiety about speaking publicly. Mm-hmm. If I have to get up in front of people, boy, I take my little Adrena Uplift tonic. <laughs> And I feel so much better, way better than coffee that gives you jitters oh. and nerves. Yeah, rescue this is remedy. Calm, rescue cool, remedy. Calm and collected. Oh, rescue remedy is a great one. That's one you taught me about. So, you know, getting back to so, but there's lots of supplements. There's things like something called chaste berry, which or Vitex, which is used to help balance your progesterone. There's something called DIM, which has a very long scientific name, but basically Dindoleal methane. Oh God, you're show it's, off. It's cru- cru- <laughs> cruciferous vegetables, basically, Extra, right? right? It helps your body clear yeah. excess, you know, hormones. So there's all these minerals and, you know, things like magnesium. Calcium, magnesium. Fantastic for you. So those are some of the supplements, and we'll put that on our website. But the other thing is being mindful, aware that things that contribute to your hormone imbalance, unresolved chronic stress, maybe you need to go for therapy, Um, you know, just kind of like what... Are you drinking too much caffeine? Are you drinking too much alcohol? Sometimes people... Energy drinks. Energy drinks. Oh, yeah. Yes. Loaded. Energy drinks. You know, people who um, extremely exercise or restrict their diets. These are all things that are going to lead to hormone imbalances. And just to note, extreme exercise. People get confused about that. A lot of people are doing high intensity. They're doing spinning. They're doing running. They're doing a lot of cardio. 
it, it's that's great, except that it needs to be balanced yes. with low intensity, like yoga, like mm-hmm. like swimming, like walking, things that help you release tension and held in the muscles. So a good balance of those is we're not saying don't exercise oh, no. at high intensity. But we are saying create a blend because that is one of the things that can really wear you down. And a lot of women I talk to have said they've pulled back, they've dialed back on their exercise program because they realize the big clue is if you feel exhausted rather than rejuvenated, if your muscles are sore and you're wiped out, that's telling you something about how your adrenals are reacting to all this exercise. Yeah, I had a gal the other day who has a long history of depression and she told me she does CrossFit four days a week and I think she does it. Then she was telling me how sore her muscles were too and she just was exhausted I looked at her I said so you should be doing something like yoga well yoga is not my thing okay how about swimming swimming is not my thing how about walking and she said you know but CrossFit makes me happy I said well I don't want you to stop doing it that's not what I'm saying here no but I need you to balance it because your muscles are telling you you're too sore you're a 60 year old woman CrossFit is definitely geared more for you know, intense exercise, we have to have recovery between those time periods. Mm-hmm. You can't. I know. I play a lot of tennis. If I don't allow myself to recover, mm-hmm. it's not good. It's mm-hmm. not good. So yeah, we have to really again getting back to that balance, right? You know, balancing yeah. our lives out is really important. Sleep, um, and then you know, of course, people have meditation. We talked about yoga. And all of a sudden, you know, your social support is really important. Who do you surround yourself with? Do you work in a toxic environment? You know, is it time to make some changes in your in your own relationships? And These make are, and reaching out to people instead of texting as we were talking. Know. Meet. You know, making sure to have a real conversation. Meet a friend. Yeah, meet up. Get 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 out there and talk to people face to face. I think we're losing that. Kyle and I are sitting here right now. We're having this conversation, but we're looking at each other a lot right. because we're, this is a conversation, and we're bouncing off of each other and feeding each other and nourishing each other's thoughts and feelings and brain. So that's what's so important. Yeah. And, you know, I think that we've brought up a lot of information today. And again, we always post this on our website. We'll put some, you know, links to the things we talked about today. We'll put some ideas out for you. But we always like to end our episode with one of our 10 truths that we came up with. And those are posted on our website. Our 10 truths that Candace and I came up with about hormones and health. Mm-hmm. And for this episode, we can think of a lot. But I think... One that's really relevant to the hot topic today was, you may have a hormone imbalance and not know it. Make yourself aware of the symptoms that can start at any age. And remember, your provider may not even consider a hormone imbalance for such symptoms as depression and anxiety. But you are in charge of your health, and that provider is working for you. And your mental well-being depends on it. So ask for what you need. Don't stop until you get it. So this is WTF signing off. Until next time. Until next time. Well, here we are at the end of this WTF Woman Talking Frankly podcast episode. In signing off, we want you to remember that what you are feeling is not all in your head. And that you have so many options to choose from to get you back to balanced living. Until next time, be well. And remember, if you want a great life, you need to ask great questions. Be courageous. Ask for what you need. With love, Kyle and Candace. Our website is womentalkingfrankly.com. 
where you can find all of our episodes, check out the show notes for resources, articles, and remedies, and where you can also feel free to email us with any questions, a hormone story, anything you'd like us to share with our listeners. Women Talking Frankly, WTF, is produced by Dan Rigger of Medicine Whistle Studios in his lovely Southeast Portland, Oregon studio. We want to thank our webmaster and dear friend, Deb Hollister of Pure and Simple Graphic Design. We also want to give a shout out to all of our family, friends, and patients for all of their support and encouragement to start this podcast. We are your hosts, Kyle McAvoy and Candace Birch.